Welcome back, everybody. Another episode of You Make Me Sick, a podcast where we talk about microorganisms, <clears throat> infectious diseases, and all the fun things that uh, those entail. Uh, today's episode, we are going to touch on syphilis. So, uh, yeah, very taboo, uh, STD. Um, not really, though. Just a, another bacteria that infects you know, a certain part of the body, it spreads systemically, causes a lot of issues uh, over a long period of time. Uh, before we get into that, though, we'll do a monkeypox update. Uh, so with monkeypox, uh, on the 4th of August, today is the 8th of August, I'm recording this. The uh, Biden administration declared it a national public health emergency. Uh, sky is falling, watch out. Um, glove up, mask up. No, really don't do that. Just kidding. Uh it's the, a lot of the media is playing this up to be something more than it really is, uh, depending on who you are. So there are certain populations that it's affecting, and I will get into the numbers in just a minute. For the majority of people, though, this is not something you really need to worry about. Uh, as I stated in my prior podcast, uh, monkeypox, very low mortality rate, this specific strain of monkeypox, uh, there have been no fatalities recorded yet from this outbreak. Uh, and according to the WHO, I think there are now 26,000 cases, almost 27,000 cases worldwide that have been reported. Uh, so nothing uh, real serious here, uh, at least not right now. And I think most epidemiologists, even though it continues to spread uh, and is a public health issue, uh, it's not something day to day that most people should worry about. So uh, as far as here in the U.S., we are actually the country uh, with the most recorded cases. Um, numbers on the 4th of August that came out, I think there were 7,102 cases total since the start of this. Uh, so more and more each day. Washington, D.C., uh, I think, is recording um, the biggest rise in recent cases. And they had a couple in the homeless population, so that's something to watch out for. But uh, who this is affecting mainly, it's still typically men who sleep with men. So this is any kind of commentary uh, on any particular lifestyle. This is just the data that we have uh, as far as who it's been affecting and who, uh, if you're part of that uh, population, should uh, really uh, be aware of and try and prevent. Um, there are vaccines. I'll talk about that uh, for a little bit as well. Um, but... Uh, Mainly, uh, we'll kind of get to some numbers right now. So this is from The Who. Uh, overall, uh, about 10 countries account for 89% of the entire population, um, the entire cases in the world. With the U.S. leading that, um, Spain is second, uh, then Germany, the U.K., uh, Europe, let's see, France. So primarily U.S. and Europe right now. There are some in South America and even in Africa, they're still having an issue with it. Uh, the data in Africa, though, it's a little bit different than in the U.S. They're finding that the majority of the cases in Africa were household spread, uh, where in all the other parts of the countries it's being spread uh, typically by sexual contact. Um, there have been, obviously, cases where that wasn't uh, how it was spread, but uh, the majority of cases were. Uh, so just quickly to get some data on that, just because, uh, you know, it's, it can create a stigma. Um, anybody who's old enough to remember HIV and AIDS and when that first started, and that really did start kind of in the, the homosexual community, 
and it you know like i said it created kind of a stigma with it even though there were plenty of people who came down with hiv and aids who were not uh homosexuals so just to get to the data so 98.8 percent uh, of the patient uh, data available 98.8 percent of the cases uh, are men uh, the median age is 37 years old uh, and it's typically men 18 to 44 uh, represent about 76.7% of the global outbreak cases. Uh, among the cases uh, that have sexual orientation uh, linked to them, 97.5% are men who have sex with men. Uh, there was 1% identified as bisexual uh, and the rest heterosexual. So still predominantly just in this, uh, uh, this portion of the population. Uh, 30% or I'm sorry, 37% of the cases uh, of those men who have sex with men also had a positive HIV status. So uh, it just kind of speaks to, you know, even though things are much better than they used to be with uh, sexually transmitted diseases um, in all populations, uh, there's still a, a high percentage of people who are having unsafe sex. Uh, and this will actually kind of feed into uh, our topic today on syphilis. But uh, still on the whole monkeypox thing here, um, sexual contact uh, was a likely transmission in 91.5% of all patients. Uh, there were 339 cases reported in healthcare workers, but the majority of those were not infected on the job. Uh, they were actually in the community and not through workplace exposure. Uh, so what to do about this? So the U.S. Um, and the WHO are trying to launch a, a pretty big campaign, an awareness campaign, and are offering vaccines as well. So I talked about my prior podcast, they had used the smallpox vaccine at some points to help treat monkeypox. There's actually another vaccine, um, it's called the Gyneos vaccine, J-Y-N-N-E-O-S, E-O-S, E-O-S. <laughs> uh, and this vaccine uh, is what's being used right now, uh, preventatively and if you have a possible exposure. And they're trying to get it out to the public as quickly as they can. I know there have been delays. Uh, there have been it's been promised over a million doses will be distributed, but I know that there's a lot of places that are having trouble getting those. Uh, it is a two dose vaccine, but I know here in Massachusetts they've been recommending just getting the first dose, uh, and they're not uh, letting you book a, an appointment for a second dose because they're afraid of supply. Um, and the first should actually provide fairly good protection uh, against the monkeypox. Uh, and I think their th thought is it's better than, you know, not getting one at all. So, and I imagine there'll be follow-up when they get more doses for a second dose to be administered, uh, which is good. Um, it does provide a little bit of a safety net. I think it's important to mention, though, that uh, even with these, it, it's important to have, you know, safe sex, um, no matter who you are, uh, just to stop the spread of any disease, but especially in this case. I mean, I know the with monkeypox... Uh, not as the outcomes aren't as severe as it would be with something like HIV or even, you know, possibly hepatitis, even though in hepatitis C there is uh, medication that can cure it. But uh, still important to, uh, to make sure to just be careful when you're out there. Um, should also mention the CDC uh, in this country uh, has now made monkeypox a nationally notifiable disease. So it means that if you do come down with monkeypox, uh, they have to report it within 24 hours of being discovered. So it wouldn't surprise me to see this trend keep uh, 
you know, going up and up, and eventually there will be a plateau. It will, uh, it will start to fall off, especially the more people who get vaccinated. But I think it's important that, uh, because anyone else who also remembers back in the 80s with HIV and AIDS when it first started, with that stigma, um, there wasn't a lot of support. There wasn't a lot of, uh, initially, uh, there weren't a lot of places to turn to for help uh, or prevention. But uh, I think we live in a, a more informed world now, and I think we live in, you know, a more tolerant world as well. Um, and the, the stigma shouldn't really, you know, be as bad. I mean, it'll still probably be there. But uh, at least we do have, uh, you know, treatments and preventative measures for this. And uh, I think public health in general has improved over the last 30 years, but uh, there are still deficits. So... To that point, uh, we will move on to today's topic, which is syphilis. Uh, this was actually a, a request uh, from from Roe. Thank you, Roe, uh, for listening. Thank you for actually suggesting this as well. It's actually a fairly interesting little bacteria. Um, can cause some damage. Uh, as we all know, syphilis uh, also one of these things that's been stigmatized as a STI, sexually sexually transmitted infection, or STD sexually transmitted disease, or a venereal disease, uh, depending on generationally where you're at. Um, so let's talk about our old friend syphilis here. Uh, so syphilis, it's actually um, Treponema pallidum is the name of the bacteria that causes syphilis. Uh, there are multiple subclasses. Um, so there's a subspecies called Pertuni or Pertunie, Pertunyu, it's hard to pronounce. That causes a separate disease called yaws. Um, there's another uh, subspecies called T. pallidum endicum, um, which causes endemic syphilis, which is different. Uh, it's not sexually transmitted and mainly affects children. And then there's also uh, Trypanumia keratium, which causes pinta, which is another disease process. Uh, these are all non-venereal, so these aren't passed uh, through sexual transmission usually just through uh, skin or mucous membrane lesions. Uh, so it can occur, you know, without sexual intercourse or just any kind of sexual activity. Uh, these we're not going to talk about. We're going to focus just on the uh, Trypanema pallidum. Um, I might just refer to it as T. pallidum. I'm even butchering the, the initial name. So either that or I'll just call it syphilis to make it easy for everybody, including myself. Um, those other... Uh, other diseases, the yaws, the pinta, uh, and the endemic syphilis, they can still cause soft tissue and bone lesions, um, but uh, typically they don't have the systemic effects that the venereal syphilis uh, can cause. So uh, so we'll start by talking uh, just kind of basically about the bacteria itself. Uh, structurally, it's helically coiled, kind of like a corkscrew shape. Uh, they do a little outer membrane that surrounds... Um, they're little periplasmic flagellum, little wiggly things on there. And they have a peptidoglycan cytoplasmic membrane complex and a protoplasmic cylinder. So we're not going to get too in-depth on those, but these are some of the things that probably help protect uh, syphilis from actually being destroyed once it's in the cell and which are able to help it kind of uh, proliferate pretty easily. Uh, Something that's interesting about syphilis is you can't actually culture these without a cellular host. So if you're trying to re-kind of culture them in a lab to grow, uh, you can't do it in any kind of laboratory medium. So for testing syphilis, you have to have some kind of living tissue. You have to have a blood sample or a tissue sample from the person. Um, so it's 
kind of unique uh, in that perspective. Uh, it's highly invasive. Uh, it spreads really quickly after you get infected by it. Uh, and it evades the, uh, the immune response pretty quickly. So it's that unique structure of the outer membrane. Uh, and it also has a low content of surface exposed proteins. Typically that's something the body would recognize as a foreign invader, are these uh, proteins that are on the outside of the cell. But if it doesn't have anything to recognize, can't really mount a defense against it. Uh, it doesn't produce any kind of an endotoxin, um, but it does have a lot of lipoproteins within the actual bacteria, and these, after it's in the cell, are actually will kind of induce that inflammatory process, uh, and that's what will actually lead to uh, the sores that are typical with syphilis, um, and they appear kind of in the first stage of the disease. Uh, so venereal syphilis obviously is transmitted, transmitted by sexual contact. Uh, humans are the only source of syphilis infections. You can't get them from animals or just in the environment. Uh, and there are no known non-human reservoirs for it. Uh, syphilis, so the first few symptoms you get from it are actually fairly uh, broad. Um, and it mimics a lot of other infectious diseases. Uh, so it's kind of, uh, it's got a reputation as the quote, great intimidator, sorry, great imitator. Uh, so it's not easily diagnosed at first uh, until you start to see uh, the actual sores when they appear uh, on genitalia. Um, but the, uh, the early symptoms, uh, like I said, kind of vague and it, it's almost uh, the body aches, fever, things you might see with you know, a thousand different other uh, infections or disease processes. Um, so patients uh, who get venereal syphilis, uh, there's three different stages that occur once you have it. The first stage, uh, the primary stage as it's called, uh, this usually occurs after an incubation period, 10 to 90 days, uh, extensive uh, multiplication of the bacteria happen, and it's typically at the site of entry um, will kind of produce a redness or a swelling. Uh, the swelling eventually turns into a kind of a papule, uh, progresses to kind of a superficial looking ulcer, and then there's a firm base, and they call that a hard canker. Uh, there are a lot of bacteria present. It's extremely contagious uh, when you have these cankers, especially when they're open. Uh, your lymph nodes can kind of enlarge, and then uh, after these uh, signs and symptoms appear, about two to six weeks, uh, the lesion heals up, and it just leaves little remnants of scar tissue. Now, a lot of people think after this that they're no longer contagious, that there's, you know, there's no any issues that are going to kind of come from this disease. They don't treat, get treatment for it, don't seek help, uh, don't get antibiotics for it. But there's a secondary stage. Um, so after you have this asymptomatic period that lasts anywhere 2 to 24 weeks, the uh, secondary or the uh, what they call a disseminated stage begins. Uh, this is where these organisms actually multiply in all kinds of different tissues in the body. Uh, symptoms, you'll get uh, symptomatic from this a little bit, maybe a slight fever, um, still more enlargements of the lymph nodes at times. You will have some malaise uh, and occasionally you'll get a rash as well. Uh, the rash uh, actually appears primarily just on the palms and the soles of the feet. Uh, but it does uh, eventually spread to other areas. And the rash, it can be uh, a little macular rash. It can be papular, so kind of little um, papule areas. It can be follicular, uh, or it can be uh, papulosquamous, or it can be pustular. 
So all kinds of different presentations for this rash. Uh, if you have no idea what any of those words mean, uh, feel free to Google them. Uh, there are some fun and interesting pictures of rashes uh, if you go and look at them. Uh, superficial sores on other mucous membranes can actually appear as well. Uh, you can get them on the mouth uh, in females, you get them on the vagina uh, or the anus. Uh, there are also wart-like lesions called condylomata lata. Um, that is not a Starbucks drink. Uh, that may actually form kind of uh, inguinal regions uh, or kind of uh, moist folds of the skin as well. And that's also something that is uh, primarily just seen in syphilis. Uh, all these lesions, whenever you have them, are actually filled with the bacteria uh, and they're extremely contagious, uh, especially when they're open. Um, and I guess in some cases can actually, uh, if it's bad enough, produce a nephrotic syndrome uh, and affect your kidneys as well. But uh, with the secondary stage, after two to six weeks, uh, your defenses kind of start to heal your body. Uh, these things start to heal up. Uh, and then syphilis takes a nice long vacation. So um, there are about 25% of untreated patients who actually will have recurrence of the secondary stage. Uh, this usually happens in the first several years following the infection. Um, and the... Uh, there is this, like I said, there's this long period between the secondary and tertiary stages of syphilis. Uh, they call this a latency period. Uh, it can usually last for a long time, uh, many, many years. Um, early latency, which is the first four years, uh, that's when some of these secondary relapses can occur. Um, but late latency is anything beyond that four-year period. Uh, and this can last uh, up to 20 to 30 years. Um, during this later period, though, the, the infection is still there, the bacteria are still there. Um, they can be seen uh, in the spleen, in lymph node, and in blood if tested. Uh, about one-third of untreated individuals uh, after that prolonged period of, like I said, up to 20 or 30 years, so it could be a really long time after initially getting syphilis, uh, this is when the tertiary or late stages evolves, uh, and this is when it gets to be pretty dangerous. So, um, primarily, there are two parts of this uh, tertiary stage that uh, end up causing a lot of uh, medical issues. Uh, the first is uh, cardiovascular problems, uh, and then there are also neurological problems that can develop in this tertiary stage. Uh, it can, tertiary syphilis, affect just about any tissue, but when it uh, affects the heart and when it affects uh, the brain or the surrounding tissue, spinal cord, uh, that's when it can cause kind of these life-threatening issues, and this is what primarily would kill people. Um, about 80% of fatalities are caused by the cardiovascular involvement, and 20% are from the neurological involvement. Uh, cardiovascular problems, usually attributed to just local inflammation produced by the bacteria, uh, usually seen within the wall of the aorta, uh, which is the gigantic vessel that carries blood uh, up to your heart, down to your other major arteries. It's... Uh, pretty important. Um, so this aortitis that happens when the uh, bacteria start to inflame the wall, infect the wall, uh, causes breakdown just of the vessel wall, it can cause aneurysms, uh, as well as coronary, ar coronary artery stenosis, so kind of hardening uh, the coronary arteries, um, causing heart attacks. Uh, aneurysms, um, triple A's, uh, ascending aortic aneurysms, uh, extremely deadly. If it ruptures, you die. Uh, you, you know, it's almost impossible unless you get into surgery immediately. 
to treat that. So uh, very, very dangerous, uh, and syphilis can cause this. Uh, it should be noted, though, that uh, since the use of antibiotics started back in the late 40s, early 50s to help treat syphilis, uh, the incidence of cardiovascular syphilis is now much less common uh, than it was prior before. You actually see more neurosyphilis uh, in these later stages than you do with the cardiovascular syphilis, which is great, um, but at the same time still sucks. So neurosyphilis, the neurological syphilis, um, it can manifest pretty much anywhere in the brain or the lining. Uh, it can be meningeal or meningeovascular. Uh, can happen in the parenchyma of the brain, um, so it can happen within the linings of the brain, the brain tissue. There can be various combinations of it. Uh, and uh, if it happens within the brain, uh, it's called generalized paresis uh, in the parenchymal form. Um, if it happens in the spinal column, it's actually called tabes dorsalis. Uh, complications from this, uh, you know, a lot of neurological issues. So it can be dementia, um, can be loss of your proprioception, can cause strokes, can cause blindness. Uh, so a lot of issues with neurosyphilis. Uh, so somebody who has kind of quick onset of some of these, uh, I think oftentimes they'll, they'll test them just to rule out any kind of latent syphilis depending on how old they are uh, and their past medical history. Another really important thing to mention with syphilis, uh, which actually is a contributor to a lot of the fatalities of syphilis even today, is congenital syphilis. So uh, if you have someone who is infected with syphilis uh, during pregnancy, uh, it can result in fetal death, it can result in birth defects, um, the multiplication of the organisms, um, even during the first stages or asymptomatic syphilis will actually pass through the placenta into the fetus uh, affecting the the baby or fetus depending on how you want to classify it um, so about 50 percent of the fetuses are actually uh, they're aborted or stillborn uh, due to the syphilis and the rest actually have uh, you know diverse syphilitic diseases so uh, in early congenital syphilis, signs uh, are apparent before the age of two years old. So, even, you know, after they're born, these are pretty early signs that you'll see these uh, syphilitic uh, deficits these kids have. Uh, these can include uh, mucotaneous lesions, uh, osteochondritis, so issues with the, the long bones, um, usually seen in the long bones. There's anemia, uh, liver and spleen enlargement. Uh, that's kind of uh, in the early stages. In the late congenital syphilis, uh, infected children, they can kind of appear normal after two years, and then they exhibit symptoms of syphilis manifestations, uh, such as uh, interstitial keratitis, which is uh, which causes blindness. It's kind of a, a hardening or kind of a, a issue with the vascularity um, to the eyes, uh, and that causes blindness. Uh, there's tooth deformation. Uh, kids are born with notched incisors, and they have what are called moon molars. Deafness, uh, neurosyphilis, so kind of the, some of the deficits that we saw just from the, affecting the brain. Um, there's also something called regatis, which are fissures, or deep uh, fissures at mucotaneous junctions. Uh, there's cardiovascular lesions that can be found. There's another condition called Clutton's joints, where you get fluid accumulation in the knee. Uh, and there's bone deformations of the legs. Uh, you can see it in the nasal septum and the hard palate of the mouth. Uh, 
So all kinds of issues, even you know, after a couple of years old, uh, of kids who uh, were born with that congenital syphilis. Uh, and there can be any combination of these as well. So it, it is kind of an issue and leads to you know, health issues later in life as well. Um, so with diagnosis of syphilis, uh, definitive diagnosis, uh, like I said, you can't uh, culture this stuff in a lab. You have to have viable tissue to look at. Uh, so uh, labs, obviously we can do PCR. There's other ways to look at it. I think there's uh, you know, antigen testing as well. Um, but it's something that you're going to need some kind of blood or tissue sample from somebody who you suspect has syphilis. Uh, clinical symptoms, uh, once lesions appear, obviously those can be cultured. Before that, sometimes it's not caught because of symptoms. It is the great imitator, uh, and it causes all kinds of symptoms that may be caused by one of any multiple uh, diseases. It should also be mentioned that with congenital syphilis, it can actually be difficult to diagnose in asymptomatically infected neonates uh, because the mother's antibodies, which pass through the placenta um, and enter fetal circulation, uh, causes reactivity uh, in multiple tests, but mother's antibodies kind of dissipate after about six months after the child's born, so those are no longer there. So these antibody tests, the uh, that the antibodies a mother would normally pass on from being infected can't be detected after about six months. Um, so it's, it can be hard to tell if uh, asymptomatic uh, carrier, if the child has syphilis or not. As far as treatments go, there are treatments, wonderful, beautiful treatments for syphilis. Uh, prior to uh, the late 1940s, early 1950s, there really wasn't much you could do. Um, penicillin, uh, the wonder drug, uh, it's still the drug of choice for treating syphilis. Um, interestingly enough, a lot of other bacteria that have been treated over the years have uh, gained resistance to these antibiotics. Um, MRSA, which is pretty much everywhere, but uh, methicillin was a, a pretty good antibiotic. And then uh, Staph aureus, which is the bacteria which MRSA, um, methicillin-resistant Staph aureus. Uh, obviously created resistance to it. There's other, uh, vancomycin is a great broad spectrum antibiotics, but there are other uh, bacteria that have, uh, have a resistance to that. These quote unquote superbugs, which I want to do an episode on superbugs. Um, maybe I can get, uh, somebody to come along with me on that journey. Um, maybe I can even talk to one of the physicians I work with and see if they'd want to uh, do a short podcast about superbugs and what those are and how, uh, it's becoming an issue. Um, which is why a lot of days now you won't see antibiotics prescribed immediately just for a suspected infection, uh, just because there's a, there's antimicrobial stewardship is what they call it, trying to be a little more judicious in who gets antibiotics and why they're getting them and trying to confirm uh, specifically what the microorganism is, and then also just educating people to finish their antibiotic courses. So um, sort of an interesting topic, but uh, anyway... Um, Back to penicillin. So no penicillin, penicillin, penicillin resistance has actually emerged yet uh, from treating syphilis, which is great. Um, gonorrhea actually now uh, you can't treat with penicillin because there has a there's a resistance to it now. But uh, for syphilis, still the the gold standard um, in non-penicillin allergic patients uh, without any kind of central nervous system involvement. Uh, the infection, it's usually treated with a specific penicillin called benzathine penicillin G, which is a long-acting penicillin. Um, right now, though, uh, 
the WHO considers this, uh, the World Health Organization, an essential medicine uh, just for treating syphilis worldwide, but there have actually been shortages uh, in a lot of regions for, I don't know, the last seven or eight years, um, which has actually caused some higher morbidity rates uh, in countries because they can't get a hold of it uh, and could continue to lead to poorer outcomes uh, if there you know, isn't a resolution to get more of this uh, this benzyl penicillin uh, on the shelves or to these countries in need. Uh, in the U.S., we're still able to get it, still treat with penicillin G, um, still a great drug, uh, primary drug for treating syphilis in patients who don't have penicillin allergies or without central nervous system issues. Um, people with uh, central nervous system issues, they'll usually still do the penicillin, but they'll do it intravenously, uh, high doses for like 10 days, 14 days. Uh, penicillin allergic patients... Uh, Non-pregnant patients with early syphilis, those can actually be treated with uh, tetracycline, uh, which is another decent drug at uh, killing the syphilis bacteria. Uh, Penicillin-allergic pregnant patients uh, and patients with neurosyphilis, uh, they have to be desensitized to the penicillin just because of lack of effective alternatives. So it's these certain populations... Still get treated with penicillin, but it has to be gradual, uh, whatever reaction they have from it. Hopefully it's not an anaphylactic reaction. Uh, you can desensitize them uh, over time and still treat them. It just takes longer. So the systemic reaction um, associated with the rapid death of the bacteria uh, usually happens between 2 and 12 hours after the start of antibiotic therapy. So relatively quickly. Uh, What's interesting is there can kind of be people who have been infected, especially in the secondary stages, uh, and get treated. There can, uh, between 2 and 12 hours afterwards, uh, might experience a bit of a headache, um, some malaise, fever, chills, uh, and uh, kind of intensification of the syphilitic lesions. Uh, These usually resolve after about 12 hours. This is just a benign reaction. Uh, that the body has uh, for people who have kind of been infected for a while. Uh, it doesn't require any prophylactic, prophylactic measures, so you don't need any kind of other treatment to help it. It's kind of self-limiting, uh, goes away uh, on its own. Um, as far as kind of prevention for syphilis, uh, I touched on this earlier with the monkeypox thing, you know, safe sex, like condoms. Uh, abstinence is the only, you know, it's the best way. Just don't go near, but... That's no fun. So um, the condom remains the method of choice, uh, especially in you know, in the United States. Uh, you know, try to encourage in even lower income countries. Um, any kind of topical applications of antibiotics or chemicals or creams or lotions, washing with soap and water after sexual contact—they're uh, pretty much highly ineffective. They don't work. Uh, there is, you know, there was talk of a possible vaccine, uh, but as of right now, I couldn't find anything pointing to any kind of vaccine on the horizon for it. Uh, kind of limited progress there. Uh, other control measures to kind of help uh, our education uh, about safe sex, uh, how it, you know, obviously how it's transmitted, um, and just kind of seeking treatment if you think you're infected before being with anybody else. Uh and then uh, trace contacts of people who have actually tested positive for it too and getting to those people and letting them know just so they can actually seek treatment uh, even if they're asymptomatic for it. 
So some epidemiology on our friend syphilis here. So the CDC, uh, they estimate about 20% of the United States population, that's uh, one in five people, um, have had some kind of sexually transmitted disease on any given day. That was in uh, 2018. And that uh, sexually transmitted diseases uh, that uh, happened that year will actually cost the American healthcare system about $16 billion in healthcare costs. So uh, very expensive. Um, each year, there are about uh, 6 million new cases of syphilis worldwide uh, in persons aged 15 to 49 years old. Um, and they consider that, uh, that age group to be kind of the most sexually active. Um, syphilis in pregnancy is actually the second leading cause of stillbirths globally. Uh, and it also results uh, in a lot of premature births, a lot of low birth weight, uh, neonatal death, and a lot of infections in newborns. Uh, to that point, uh, over 300,000 fetal and neonatal deaths are attributed to syphilis each year, with about 215,000 infants uh, that are born with syphilis and placed at increased risk of early death. Uh, in 2016, as far as kind of more prevention stuff, uh, the WHO kind of released a new strategy to help try and prevent uh, syphilis being spread. Uh, the elimination of uh, congenital syphilis was actually one of the major points uh, or major uh, goals of the WHO. And uh, the goal of a 90% reduction in syphilis with 50% fewer cases of syphilis per 100,000 live births was kind of a goal by 2030. So we'll see you know, if they're able to get there. Venereal syphilis is worldwide. This isn't uh, any just one community. Uh, it's everywhere, has been for a very long time. Still a big public health issue. Uh, infectivity rates, most sexually active groups are the 20 to 24 year old group, no shock there. A little bit lower to that is the 15 to 19 year olds. Uh, and even less than them are the 25 to 29 year old group. So penicillins, uh, been around for a long time, 1940s, 1950s, treated it pretty well. There was actually a real reduction in incidence of syphilis uh, in those decades. And then in the late 1980s, there was actually a major increase in syphilis scene, um, especially in inner cities. And this was kind of related to crack cocaine usage. So in those areas, there was improved surveillance and uh, tried more education just to try and reduce the amount of uh, spread of syphilis there. Uh, there's also correlation, about 10% of people with gonorrhea may have a concurrent syphilis infection. Uh, gonorrhea has a shorter incubation period though, about two to eight days, and has painful symptoms, where a lot of times the syphilis, the sores that it causes, aren't really painful. So a lot of people will get treated for the gonorrhea first instead of syphilis and find out that they have the syphilis when they're getting treated for the gonorrhea. Um, what's nice, though, is that typically most treatments for gonorrhea will actually kill the syphilis, too. So you get two STDs with one stone. Uh, High-income countries like the U.S., uh, still a problem here. It doesn't really, you know, it, it's a problem everywhere. Um, but in the Western Europe and the USA and China, three big areas that are, you know, all considered first world areas, uh, still a lot of issues. Um, a lot of issues to my point earlier with monkeypox. Uh, men who have sex with men is another group that actually have a high incidence of syphilis. 
Uh, it actually dropped for a while um, back in the late 80s, early 90s, just because of the, the programs about uh, safe sex with HIV and with AIDS. And recently, in the last few years, it's seen an increase. They think some of that may be attributed to the fact that there are actually uh, a lot of PrEP therapies that uh, the men who sleep with men will use uh, just for prevention of getting HIV and AIDS, but these don't prevent you from getting other sexually transmitted diseases. I think this is also something they're trying to bring home with the whole monkeypox epidemic right now uh, to try to just educate a little bit that even with PrEP, you're still susceptible to other sexually transmitted diseases and to try to be a little bit safer. Uh, so there's always that concern. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, in uh, older podgeriatric populations, uh, they're seeing a rise in STDs as well. Uh, with the, the wonderful uh, advent of Viagra and all these other uh, erectile dysfunction medications, uh, grandma and grandpa are, are getting it on again. So with that actually comes an increased incident of uh, sexually transmitted diseases. So uh, something else just kind of interesting. Another data point to throw out there, uh, sex workers. Uh, in 2019, the average of about 10.8% of sex workers were actually diagnosed with active syphilis. Uh, this includes all sex workers, female, male, transgender adults, young people um, who receive money or goods in exchange for sexual services either regularly or occasionally. Uh, so that's a definition for that. So uh, that's kind of right now the epidemiological side of it. Um, I will say before penicillin, uh, the syphilis case fatality rate was about 10% within 40 years of infection. Uh, since penicillin, uh, that's actually dropped quite a bit. But uh, Stuff, it can still be deadly. Uh, most people now, it, you see very few deaths from syphilis now. It's usually caught prior to that. Even in the later stages can be treated with, uh, with antibiotics. Uh, the biggest thing right now are just kind of the, the neonatal and the congenital deaths that happen. Those can sometimes be, I wouldn't say unavoidable, but harder to avoid than uh, treating you know, young people or adults with it. So... Syphilis, how long has it been around for? Uh, you know, so there's records of about 3000 BC is when it actually, uh, syphilis emerged from southwestern Asia. Um, there's thought due to kind of lower temperatures of post-glacial era, uh, people were moving around a little more and then it was spread to Europe and then the rest of the world. So, uh, eventually made its way worldwide. Um, starting point though, about 3000 BC. Uh, a lot of people kind of uh, of note have also died of syphilis. Uh, I'll go over a few right now. So we have famous writers as Alphonse Daudet, uh, Thomas Chatterton, uh, Keats, James Boswell, uh, Baudelaire, Heinrich Hein, um, Dostoevsky, and Oscar Wilde all thought to have had or died from syphilis. Uh, famous painters, they're so... Uh, Henry de Toulouse-Lautrec, who is actually famous for painting sex workers, Paul Gauguin, uh, Vincent van Gogh, Goya, uh, and Edward Manet, uh, also known to have died from syphilis. Uh, great philosophers, uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, died of syphilis. Arthur Schopenhauer, 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 I can't pronounce it, he died of syphilis though. Um, classical composers. Ludwig von Beethoven, dead from syphilis. Uh, 
Robert Schumann, Franz Schubert, dead from syphilis. Ironically, Casanova, known for wooing uh, many, many women, you know, iconically known for his seduction. Um, but he actually mostly slept with prostitutes, or sorry, sex workers. <laughs> and this is probably why he had gonorrhea four times. He had uh, syphilis and genital herpes. So, uh, you know, if someone calls you a Casanova, you might want to kind of rethink that. Um, famously, gangster Al Capone, he died of syphilis while in Alcatraz. Uh, political leaders also couldn't escape this awful, awful bacteria. Ivan the Terrible, who was the Prince of Moscow uh, back in the 16th century. Uh, Henry III, Charles V of France. Good old Henry VIII, I am, I am, died of syphilis. George IV of England died of syphilis. Paul I of Russia and Maximilian I of the Holy Roman Empire also died of syphilis. Uh, it's also suspected that Adolf Hitler died of syphilis, hopefully painfully. Uh, and then uh, it's even thought that possibly Shakespeare and Abraham Lincoln also had syphilis, although there's no evidence to really support that. So, that being said, <laughs> when we do our death count now, and stack our dead head to toe to try to see if they can reach the moon, how many empire state buildings we could get from our dead, and how many times they could wrap around the earth. I do hope, thinking about this, that Abraham Lincoln is on top of Hitler taking a dump on his head. Anyway, uh, so going back to 3000 BC, uh, I'm not going to include the years after treatment of penicillin because it's such a low mortality rate. So about 1950s kind of be our cutoff for that. So that's about 4,930 years of pre-penicillin treatment. Uh, it's hard to find accurate statistics about how many you know syphilis infections occurred year to year. I mean, it's you know going back that far, obviously not good record keeping. But I, I'm going to take this, and maybe this is an overestimation. I don't know. But uh, right now uh, in the world today, there's about 600 million cases per year. Uh, granted, the world population is greater now. I don't know. It might be an underestimation, though, because maybe people are uh, having safer sex. Uh, who knows? Anyway, we're going to use that as our, our starting number for cases per year is 6 million. 10% um, mortality rate. So we take 10% of 6 million. That's about 600,000 deaths uh, each year. Uh, we'll multiply that by our 4,930 years. That gives us uh, 2,900,000. 158 million deaths from syphilis. That's a lot. So we'll take our average metric of 5 foot 5 inches for people. And I know this is probably inaccurate too because a lot of these deaths are probably babies or neonates. So yeah, they're less, but just roll with it, okay? 5 foot 5 inches, uh, 2.9 billion. Um, that gives us a total number of 16 trillion, uh, sorry, 16 billion. 22,500,000 feet, or 3,034,564 miles. Uh, that's how far we can get with our bodies right now. So, if we're trying to get to the moon, uh, the moon is 238,855 miles from Earth. We could actually reach the moon 12.7 times. Uh, if we wanted to stack our dead uh, as high as the Empire State Building, which is 1,454 feet, that's including the spire at the top, 
uh, we could reach the top 11,019,601 times. And if we tried to wrap around the circumference of the Earth, uh, circumference of the Earth is 24,901 miles, we could actually wrap the Earth a total of 121.86 times. So that's a lot of wrapping and stacking and going to the moon. Um, it's huge. So it kind of points to the fact that, you know, how important antibiotics are today and just how many people died in the past without them. Uh, especially from something like syphilis, which won't necessarily kill you right away. I mean, this is a disease that uh, there's a latency period of up to, you know, 20 or 30 years before you start to see these really uh, terrible kind of outcomes from it, especially the cardiovascular side of it. Uh, as I said, this might not be fully accurate, but, uh, you know, this is I'm trying to do the best I can with what I got. Uh, so kind of a, a gross estimate. Uh, you can actually emphasize the word gross on that. But uh, that's kind of syphilis in a little nutshell. Uh, hopefully it was informative. I uh, appreciate everybody for listening, too, uh, especially my international listeners. Uh, keep it up. Thank you very much. Any other requests from people, please uh, feel free to email. Uh, you make me sick pod at gmail.com. Uh, I'd love to take uh, any kind of request you have. Uh, Going to be doing one shortly, actually, with a friend of mine who had Q fever which is kind of interesting. I didn't really know anything about it until he mentioned that he had it. So a uh, good friend of mine who I've known for a long time. Uh, so uh, Iraq War veteran. Uh, so it'll be kind of interesting to discuss that and talk to him about that. Uh, and I'm hoping to also just have on, you know, uh, I work with a lot of interesting people, knowledgeable people. Uh, hopefully maybe one of them will join me at some point and we can do uh, an episode with them. But uh Anyway, uh, thanks again for listening. Uh, until next time, remember to wash your hands, and uh, I'll catch you later. Did you take a dump in your bed last night?